Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today we have an update from our mission work in Pakistan, and we listen in on a conversation about COVID-19. Subscriptions to our monthly newsletter, The Prophetic Observer, are available. Each month, timely articles about prophecy in light of today's events. An excellent outreach tool. Many people give copies of The Prophetic Observer to friends and family so they can stay informed. Subscribe to The Prophetic Observer today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. COVID-19 has affected millions of lives around the world. There are many thoughts and opinions about this global pandemic. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargermino, recently spoke with Dr. Keith Rose, who is a medical doctor that has treated thousands of patients with COVID and is here today to share his thoughts on this deadly virus. One of the hottest items of the day is the coronavirus pandemic. Just when things were calming down and it looked like we were going to get some respite, the Delta variant showed up. How long is this going to continue? Are we handling the pandemic in the best way possible? Do we trust Dr. Fauci? Our guest is Dr. Keith Rose. We're going to be talking to him about COVID-19 and why we don't seem to be getting a grip on the problem. Keith, thank you so much for being our guest. Certainly. Thank you for having me. Tell our listening audience, first of all, a little bit about your medical training and background and your qualifications for addressing this really important issue. I've been trained in general in plastic surgery. I'm currently practicing plastic surgery in my hometown. I've been practicing medicine for 22 years. I'm an owner-operator of four urgent care clinics and a wellness clinic. Mm. I worked overseas for over 15 years doing craniofacial surgery, both as a grant evaluator and trainer for Smile Train and other NGOs, and I've helped set up several medical programs in Afghanistan after the war. I don't want to say where because there's a lot of unrest there right Right, now. I don't want to put anyone in danger. And my travels in working in Africa, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East, I've had to deal with H1N1, Ebola. I've been badged by the World Health Organization down in Central America. So I've done a lot of traveling. I understand medicine. I understand internal medicine. Even though I'm a surgeon, where I trained in general surgery, we had to take care of our medical problems or the internal medical problems for our general surgery patients. Back in the day, I'm a little older. I've been practicing for, like I said, 22 years. We had to take care of their problems. And so when the coronavirus first hit, I actually had heard about it much sooner. I had had some people I worked with in Thailand that were in China, and they were talking about it in Thanksgiving of 2019. And as it came on the stage, I had noticed, and a lot of other people did, there were a lot of viral pneumonias in January that were unexplained, and they were what we call non-influenza viral pneumonia, which I believe could have been the coronavirus. And as I saw this, the evolution of the coronavirus, it didn't make any sense that we were treating this virus so much different from other viruses or other viral-type illnesses. And once the literature was reviewed and it started coming out in mass and we started doing literature searches on SARS-CoV-1, which was SARS-CoV has been out since the first time they had it was in 2003. Hmm. And so when you start looking back at that and you start seeing recommended protocols and things that worked, and then you realize what we're doing now, none of it made any sense to me. Mm. So are you saying that the medical community today is treating the problem in the wrong way and that 
we're missing something? I don't want to say the medical community, because I'm not really sure how you would define that. <laughs> right. I, you could say the medical bureaucracy mm. is going to have a lot to answer for. I've published over 15 papers in peer-reviewed journals. And when I was back as a resident and a fellow and I was publishing papers, we would go to major national and international meetings to defend our papers. You would also, when you do research, you have to go before something called an institutional review board. There's a lot of peer review processes prior to publication of any paper or even just presentation at a national meeting. So when we are seeing the CDC and other medical organizations and websites throughout this past year and a half that have been citing, quote, pre-published studies, that's, in the infamous words of Joe Biden, that's really not a thing. And when you have one of the most respected or previously respected medical journals in the world, The Lancet, publish a landmark paper on hydroxychloroquine, and then two weeks later have to retract the entire paper wow. because the paper was based off of 84,000 retrospective case reviews, and they couldn't produce one case that they reviewed. That's not an anomaly. It's an abomination in medicine. And the fact that they would read, that should have been peer-reviewed in, the best ma- in the, one of the finest journals in the world. That should have never been a thing. And it was. So they had to retract it, yet people still cite that because the news reports spent days telling, weeks and months telling us how bad it was. But then when it was retracted, it, you know, received a few lines on maybe the third page of the newspaper. Right. Right. Late at night. It just didn't make sense. Tell us a little bit about HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, and then ivermectin. I've spoken to several doctors this past week. They all say it doesn't work, people die, and so on and so forth. But from what I've heard from frontline doctors and a couple of people I know whose lives were saved by HCQ, these things are really working. They've been around for about 70 years. They're very inexpensive. What's your take on ivermectin and HCQ? Well, anyone that tells you that they don't work either hasn't used it correctly, used it at all, or is intellectually dishonest. Mm. Because in my clinics, I have doctors and providers that work for me. We have treated, and yes, this is anecdotal, this is my experience, but our clinic experience is we have treated over 3,000 patients now with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin with oral steroids, steroids in a nebulizer machine, budesimide or pomicord is a trade name, and a Z-pack, zinc, and vitamin D3 with that combination. We've treated over 3,000 patients, the oldest being 90 years old, with a 100% success rate. And these are all patients with active disease, not positive tests. So when someone tells me it doesn't work, I really have a hard time reconciling that with my personal experience and also the experience of other doctors. People want to say, well, he's a surgeon. What does he know? I will tell you that Dr. Peter McCullough, who is a board-certified cardiologist and internist. He's on staff at the Texas A&M College of Medicine. He is on the editorial board of multiple journals, and he is the editor of the Journal of Cardiology and Renal Renal Medicine. He stated, point blank, we have early therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine, like ivermectin, and they are very effective. Mm, In fact, he went on to say, if you've had COVID and recovered, that you have immunity, and it is robust and durable. 
And he's one of the leading experts in the world, and he also said the vaccines not only are not effective, but they cause problems, and they do not prevent acquisition or transmission of the disease, which we know for a fact now. Well, I have a lot of questions about Dr. Fauci and his outburst against Rand Paul, who is also a medical doctor. And I think Rand Paul was saying he already has the antibodies and he doesn't need to take Pfizer or whatever. What's your opinion of Dr. Fauci? I have some suspicions. Well, Dr. Fauci has been on the wrong side of pretty much every major medical conundrum Mm. that goes national since his career started, I believe. I can tell you back during HIV, Dr. Fauci was almost vilified, and rightly so, by the LGBT community because he was not looking at what was actually treating HIV or the group that was getting it. And and you can go back and people can Google this and look at it, but he was trying to push, shockingly, a messenger RNA vaccine later in the 1990s for it. And he was trying to say that AZT didn't work and use much more expensive medications. So he's not been on target for many things. He's been a part of the bureaucracy. And then when it came to SARS-CoV-2, you can see a lot of montages about when Dr. Fauci says one thing one day and something different the next. I read through his emails, and you can see that he is tied at the hip with a gentleman by the name of Ralph Barrick. Ralph Barrick did the gain-of-function testing on SARS-CoV-1, at the University of North Carolina in 2002, and then miraculously at 2003, then we had our first cases of SARS-CoV-1. Dr. Fauci is part of a bureaucracy, and when you're in a bureaucracy, you're never wrong, because if you're wrong in a bureaucracy, you'll lose power. In science and medicine, you can be wrong a lot, because it's not about whether you're right or wrong, it's about being able to try something, through experimentation or trial, and then you have to do a safety profile, assess whether it was correct or not, and then you course correct. And Dr. Fauci, with all due respect, I would guess he probably saw his last patient 40 years ago. Mm. If he's seen patients, there's no way he could do all the interviews he's doing. There's no way he would change with the wind. And he's been shown to have a personal interest in several companies, Based off his emails, he's worked closely with a guy named Peter Daszak from EcoHealth Alliance, who received millions of dollars in grants and who stated plainly that they could control outcomes and then work on a revenue model. I'm paraphrasing, but that's out there. I wonder if there's maybe 10, 20, 30 medical doctors listening to you and to me right now, and they're persuaded, hey, you're right. Will they get in trouble with the AMA? I mean, is there pressure being put on medical doctors to support the so-called party line and not deviate from the party line? I haven't had any pushback or complaints myself or any of my practitioners or physicians. And the AMA has never been a doctor-centric organization to begin with. It's always been more of a political, bureaucratic platform. Now, I've seen a lot of journals and a lot of big hospitals even kind of toe this line. And I, it may be out of fear, but I think that physicians are doing themselves a disservice not to get sit down, get on PubMed, or get on UpToDate, where they can look at the journals, they can look at the information and make decisions for themselves. There are a lot of doctors out there that support using hydroxychloroquine, support using these different early therapeutics. And I would ask doctors... Why are they being silenced? 
we've seen people use medications that weren't correct and they weren't silenced before. Mm. And when I mean silenced, I'm not saying that people are calling them out based on the fact that they're not working. I'm talking about they are trying to cancel them, threaten their license. But those are just threats. No one's following through with it because then they would get into something called discovery, which I believe they know they would lose. I'm not aware of anyone in my state that has lost their license or even had that threat. I think, again, there are more threats than action. Okay, now what about masks? Does a mask really protect people from the virus? And what about mandating masks for school children? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? There's a twofold answer to that. One, mask in children. It's child abuse in my eyes. Children need to key off of visual cues in their development and their psychosocial development. And there's a litany of psychologists, child psychologists, adolescent practitioners that have been talking about this. We also know that there were 325, I believe, deaths from SARS-CoV-2 in children. And when Johns Hopkins recently did a case study of each one of those cases, every one of those children had at least cancer or some type of lymphoma-type disease or blood dyscrasia. Not one of them was just a healthy child that got SARS-CoV-2 and died. So essentially, in healthy children, They have a 0% chance of dying, and that's according to the CDC numbers. Mm. In fact, if you look at the CDC numbers across all age groups, until you get over the age of 70, it's a 99.9% survival. And even at the age of 70 and higher, it only drops down to like 98.9, depending on the study you look at. And also, per many experts in the field, not just me, asymptomatic spread is not a thing. It doesn't happen. You have to have active symptoms to spread the disease. Thanks to your generosity of giving and prayer, we have an update we are delighted to share with you about our mission efforts in Pakistan. It is so nice to be visiting with Pastor Victor Samuel, pastor of Grace Bible Church and also the executive director of Grace Charity School in Tobatek Singh, Pakistan. He's going to give us an update of the work in Pakistan. Pastor Victor, thank you for being on the phone with us. Yes, praise the Lord. God bless you, everyone who are listening. I'm so excited when we do these updates on the mission there. But tell us, we're really sorry to hear about what is happening in Afghanistan, just west of Pakistan. How are things in Pakistan? Is everything okay? Praise the Lord. We are so far doing fine here. If you have heard in the news, the Pakistan Interior Minister said the Afghan Taliban have assured the government that it would not allow their soil to be used against it by Tariqe Taliban, Pakistan militants. Mm, Wow. We want to continue to pray for the school and for the children and for all the Christians. I think that's very important. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You have a guard there at the school, right? Yes, I do. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, that's good to know. And you have an iron gate and a big wall around the whole school because I've had some of our listeners who want to know if the situation is safe. And I said, basically, it is very safe. Praise the Lord. I am thankful for all the giving heart people of Southwest Radio Ministries whom have been supporting the school and other activities we are doing for the Lord's work here in Pakistan. And I praise the Lord that with your support, we were able to purchase the barbed wires that which we have installed around the whole school building. And we have the barrier and we have a security guard. And we recently just purchased, with your help, the gun for the security guards for our self-defense. 
That's very important, and we certainly don't want anything to happen to you or the teachers, and certainly not to the boys and girls. And of course, I was able to send you the funds that our listeners have contributed for the new school bus. Tell our listeners about the bus and why you need a school bus. In the present situation right now, the mostly Christian teenage girls have been kidnapped from schoolways. And if you just type it on Google, you will find out many cases are happening these days. We are facing a vital problems for boys and especially for girls. They're convinced to get education in Pakistan. We wanted to purchase our own school bus for our school children and for school students for their protection. And I praise the Lord for all the listeners and for specifically for those who have donated for this great need. Brothers and sisters, I would like to tell you a little bit about the problem of girls here in Pakistan. Yes. Pakistan was described as among the world's worst performing country in education. And the new government elected in July 2018 stated in their manifesto that nearly 22.5 million children are out of school. And you will not believe that girls are particularly affected. 32% of primary school age girls are out of school in Pakistan, compared to 21% of boys. Can you imagine this? And by grade 6, 59% of girls are out of school, and only 13% of girls are still in school by ninth grade. So both boys and girls are missing out in education, on education in unacceptable numbers. Girls are worst affected. So I praise the Lord for Grace Charity's Christian school in Pakistan in Thobatex in my hometown. We have mostly girls in our school. We are providing them a wonderful spiritual and formal education and with your support. And now with this recent and a greatest blessing and the greatest need which was fulfilled by your support, the bus it would be amazing, amazing, you know, opportunity for the girls to come to school safely. I thank you for sharing that because education, and especially a Christian education, is so important. And there's so many times when I just praise the Lord for you. And I remember when I first met you, we met more than probably 10 or 11 years ago. When I met the boys and the girls, they're so well-behaved. They're very, very intelligent. I know they know how to use computer. We got them a computer laboratory. They have a science laboratory. But I'm really interested in the fact, and I praise the Lord for the fact that the girls are getting a good education. They're going to be school teachers. They're going to be attorneys. They're going to be nurses one day. And I know they're going to bless the people of Pakistan. I would like to say a thanks to all the people specifically for these people that who have blessed us with the school bus. I'm humbled and appreciative of all you have done on our behalf. Amen. I thank the Lord for them too. I know many have called and I get to speak to them on the telephone. And if anybody would like to know more about the ministry in Pakistan, then we have a church there, Grace Bible Church and Grace Charity School. Our telephone number, 1-800-652-1144. Now, Pastor Victor, how do you find students for the school? Do you advertise or do you go and visit families? Tell us a little bit how you get boys and girls for the school. The Grace Charity School was found because God directly spoke to my heart to reach out to these children from the Bricklands. 
And I started this school with the 19 students and I started visiting the families. And whenever I would visit them, I saw the children working barefoot and hardly they're wearing their clothes. And it's so cool when they're so cold and they're, when they're so uh, hot. So I tried to convince the parents that the education is more important for them right now because they are the future for their families. So I tried my level best to motivate them. And every time I visit them, I tell them how education important is for them. Not only the formal education, but the biblical for their soul. I remember the first time I met you in November of 2009. You struck me as being the real deal. You love the Lord. You love people. You love the people of Pakistan. I remember we went out and visited. We did some baptizing and so forth. And I think of when you were ordained. I had the privilege of ordaining you, and you are now the pastor of Grace Bible Church. I know you've been baptizing some new Christians lately. Tell us about that. Praise the Lord. The Grace Bible Church is working day and night for these lost souls in our area and in our surrounding villages. We wizards, and we tell them that Jesus is the coming soon, and we need to repent, and by the grace of God, many people, especially the young boys and girls, are coming to know Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. I will tell you that they are really encouraged by my testimony, my personal testimony, that how God has changed me and how God has been uh, using me all these years in these uh, lives. So they are giving their lives to Jesus, and they're coming to church and learning about Jesus more and more, and praise the Lord when they say, that we are ready to get baptized. So that day, that moment, are really very magical for me, a very anointed one. Anointed, anointed days and uh, moments for me, that when they say that, when they actually say that we want to be baptized. Mm, wow. Wow, what a beautiful testimony. Well, I know that you have been preaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit from Galatians 5 at Grace Bible Church. How have the people been receiving your teaching and preaching about what the Holy Spirit can do in us and through us? I am getting a very good response from the church because just this past Sunday, I was preaching fourth fruit of the Holy Spirit, and God is moving in our church through these old messages. They are receiving the blessings, and they are really giving me a wonderful response. And this is the old glory to God, you know. Yes. You have a lovely wife, Sophia. She is a godly Christian woman. She works with the women in the church. She also helps in the school. I think her brother is a pastor. Is that correct? Yes, her brother is a pastor. Wow. You know, when I think of how exciting the work is in Pakistan and how the Lord is touching many, many lives, boys and girls, I know you and I, we went out to many villages. It was so moving. Sometimes the villages are very small, but we'd get 10 or 12 people together and we'd share the gospel with them. Sometimes we'd go in their house, we'd visit with them. And I think it was probably some of the better moments in my Christian life to know you, to know the work in Pakistan. I praise the Lord. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, tell us about the brick kilns. They make bricks. It's very hot. It's very dirty. Tell us a little bit about the brick kilns. We want to pray about the brick kilns. My heart is so much heavy for them. The bricklings are the modern slaves in this world. Especially the children here in Pakistan, you will not believe that when you see them 
working so hard along with their parents and they have no future is just absolutely heartbreaking. And I want to tell you that the child labor in Pakistan is the employment of children for work in Pakistan, which causes them mental, physical, moral, and social harm. And I want to tell you the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan estimated that in the 1990s, the 17% million children were working in the country, half of whom were under the age 10. And in 1996, the maiden age for a child entering the workforce was seven dawn from eight in 1994. And it was estimated that one quarter of the country's workforce was made up of the children. So this is horrible here. And I want to tell you that the child labor remains one of the major problems afflicting people and its children. And Pakistan has passed laws in an attempt to limit the child labor, but those laws are universally ignored. Some 11 million children aged 4 to 14 working in brutal and cruel conditions. And I want to tell you the Gray Charity School NGO groups against child labor have been raising awareness of the exclusions of the children in Pakistan. We are working in Toba Singh and Kamalia to reduce child labor. We offer free school facilities for underprivileged children of workers and free hospital treatment. Amen. Well, friends, we have been delighted to hear from Pastor Victor. Pastor Victor, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And I want to tell our listeners, if you would like to personally speak to me about the ministry in Pakistan, toll-free number here at the ministry, 800-652-1144. The school is growing. There are many needs. Many more children need to get a good Christian education. Probably most of you will not go to Pakistan to share the gospel, but you can take a part in the lives of these young boys and girls who will grow up to be the future of a very, very beautiful nation. I've been to Pakistan three times. It's a lovely, lovely nation, many lovely people there. So please pray about what you would do for the ministry in Pakistan. And like I say, if you want to call me, 1-800-652-1144. Today in the Resource Center, we have a book bundle that you will want to get. Two books to inform and help you know what is happening and how it affects you and your family. The books Socialism, The Real Story by Bill Federer and The Naked Communists by Cleon and Paul Skousen. Get both of these books for a gift of $45 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. We're on the radio, online, and now podcasting around the world, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And we're able to do this because of your prayers and financial support. When you purchase a book or DVD, when you attend a conference, when you subscribe to our monthly Prophetic Observer, When you invite others to tune in, you are helping us spread the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. Tomorrow, pastor and author Greg Patton will look at the Ten Commandments. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.org.
swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Dot com.